Welcome to Encouraging Truths for Today. We're glad to bring you this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. Now please join us as we learn to grow deeper in our relationship with God and each other. And so let's look at Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through 11. We're going to be reading a lot of Scripture today. We're going to read some together. We're going to stop and pray in between. And I think it'll be a great time to just hear from God and to worship and to pray. Beginning in Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord, given through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Then I set my face toward the Lord God, to make my request by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him, and with those who keep his commandments. We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us shame of face as it is this day. To the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those near and those far off and all the countries to which you have driven them because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face to our kings, our princes, and our fathers because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. Father, as I read this passage and I I see... um, Daniel being spoken to you by your word, him not just walking away and going about his business of the day, but um, 
stopping there with a broken heart, pleading uh, with you as this prayer continues uh, for some type of intervention. I'm convicted. Uh, complacency and comfort have become such a real part of our lives. Sometimes we only pray when that's interrupted and it's not about you, it's about us. And so, Father, I pray that you would grip our hearts this morning, that you would capture our minds with your truth, and that you would hear the cries of our hearts as we respond to your word and as we pray that this would be a, a day of great difference in us. That you would drive us to a real rich repentance before you. So we pray now you would guide us as we continue through your word. We pray that you would please speak to us from it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I think sometimes we forget that the kingdom of God was divided. Even when they went into captivity, they were divided. You had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. You had Israel and you had Judah. And in the midst of all of that with different kings and ungodliness and Godliness to ungodliness and all the things that went on, there was a lot of finger pointing. Israel would point to Judah and Judah would point to Israel. The reality was sin had hit the entire people of God and that's what Daniel addresses here. It's not just an Israel problem. It's not just a Judah problem. It's God's people's problem. I think sometimes we would rather blame somebody else than be broken before God. This may surprise you, but right now our nation is divided. It's not just divided, it is fractured in so many places. And have you not noticed a lot of finger pointing? Uh, we play the blame game and that started in the Garden of Eden, didn't it? With Adam and Eve pointing at each other and at the serpent. It wasn't their fault, it's everybody else's fault. Well, the reality is Daniel begins to connect the dots. This is our fault, he says. We have not acted like God wanted us to act, he says, and it is both Israel and Judah that have victimized the nation. So when we think about where we are right now and how we got to where we are, it's, it's, it's not because we have not taken stands. It's not because of the failure of boycotting this and boycotting that. It's a lot easier to boycott than to share your faith and be salt and light in a world that desperately needed it. And so we failed to be salt and light and we failed to have an influence like we should on the culture. Charles Spurgeon once said, the reason the church has so little influence on the world is because the world has so much influence on the church. 
And that's so true, isn't it? And so we're trying to make a break with that. We're trying to uh, travel on that journey from this barrenness through the valley of brokenness into blessedness. But the, the heart of all of that comes through repentance. So we have been greatly blessed as a nation. We've been blessed as a state. We've been blessed as a community and as a church. But with great blessing comes great responsibility and accountability. And now we come face to face with that in Scripture. So as you think about Daniel's prayer here, it really is a a focusing of our attention back to where the problem started. Now remember, Israel and Judah were special cases here. They were addressed by God in his word, by his prophets. But the principles we'll read here apply. The sins are ever-present and they need to be dealt with. So I'm not saying we replace Israel. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying that when a nation is eaten up with sinfulness, godliness, and immorality, or not just immorality, but amorality, where there is no measure of morality, these principles help us, don't they? So I want us to first turn to Deuteronomy chapter 28. He referred to sinning against the law of Moses, which was simply the law of God given through Moses in Deuteronomy 28. Uh, Us having gone through this time of prayer, this journey of prayer, it's It's helpful that you're familiar with many of the passages we're going to look at today. Verses 1 through 10. Here Moses is restating the law. They're about to enter the promised land that God had promised them. And here are the promised blessings upon them if they obey God. Beginning in verse 1 of Deuteronomy 28. Now it shall come to pass... If you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Now, here was the tendency. They, they heard the blessing without the requirements. Here's what they began to believe. The Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, period. But it all hinged upon obedience, didn't it? It all hinged in living within the boundaries of God's blessing that he had drawn for them. And any nation that would live in those boundaries of God's blessing will experience great blessing. He exalts a nation that fears him. And then here's the blessings in verse 3 following. Blessed shall be you in the city and blessed shall you be 
in the country. Blessed shall you shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, and the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flocks. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall be shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and in all to which you set your hand, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself, just as he has sworn to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. Then all peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. What if somebody ran on that platform for president of our nation? Here's, here's how we fix everything. This is it. He, he wouldn't get very far, would he? But it makes so much sense, doesn't it? You, you obey God's commands. You live in his ways. You follow him and his blessing rests upon you and his protection surrounds you and your prosperity as a nation proceeds and God will keep you and sustain you. It sounds so simple, but it's not easy. Why? Because nations are made of people and people are sinners by nature, and by choice. There is none righteous, no, not one. All we, like sheep, have gone astray and we've turned our own ways. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so then you come to verse 15. But it shall come to pass... If you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And then you find, if you look down through there, I've underlined cursed, 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 the Lord will, the Lord will, the Lord will, the Lord will. These are two kinds of promises, favorable and unfavorable. Why would it be that we would choose to live under the curses that are overtaking us rather than having God's blessings chase us? So anytime we're at a crossroads like this in Scripture, God has two things at work, a prophet and a remnant. There's always a messenger and a people that God has preserved. At the heart of 
all of the sin among the people in the midst of all of those curses as they begin to be poured out on them, there is a remnant of people that get it. There's a remnant of people that connect the dots and they understand. Uh, There's a, a heart of people there, a people within that people that have a holy hunger for God and his righteousness and his kingdom. And God here has raised up Moses as the prophet to that remnant. Some would hear, some would not. And in our day, there are people throughout our land that are a remnant of righteousness. People that are holy before God, set apart by him as the bride of Christ. Now, I'm not talking about all church members everywhere. I'm talking about the church within the church that are truly converted, that are regenerated by the Spirit of God through Christ alone, by faith alone. They are a remnant, and their ear is tuned to the Word of God. I would hope and pray that we were all part of that remnant, hungry to hear from God. And so here, they're faced with that decision. Do they want blessings or do they want curses? Both are in place. Both are ready to pursue them depending upon how they respond. Let's pray together as we proceed. Father, it's obvious when we look at um, this passage, we have chosen the latter. The overwhelming sense of our nation is that we have chosen to live under the curses that you bring due to ungodliness, sinfulness, rampant sinfulness, Father. We've chosen that. And Father, even though we sitting here in the church may not have been a part of that, may not participate in that, we are a part of this nation and this nation has experienced the outpouring of your wrath and your judgment and continues to do so and continues to choose that direction. And we're praying that as your remnant, we would return to you in a way that we could truly become the salt of the earth and the light of the world in this nation and in our state and in our nation and that you would, um, and in our city, that you would just, by your people, use us to connect the dots between the curses that we experience, the, the outpouring of your wrath and the sinfulness that has been committed. And Father, even as we do that, help us to, to do that with compassion and love for the place in which you have planted us. Father, would you please do a fresh work among us and through us? So, Father, please, please forgive our nation. Please turn the church within this nation to you in a desperate cry before you. We're not asking for the lifting of the curses. We're asking for a return to you in sincerity and genuineness. 
Father, would you please, please do that? So what we're going to find in the Scripture is that God's judgment is persistently progressive. It's, it's just like our sinfulness. Haven't you found that your sinfulness is persistently progressive? It, it starts with a thought. It begins to develop into a mindset. It begins to yearn as a desire. And then the sin actually begins to occur outwardly. And, and sin, one sin is never enough, is it? You remember the old Lay's potato chip commercial, nobody can eat just one? Well, the reality is nobody can sin just one sin. It's progressively persistent in your life. It's aggressive. And, it, and Satan longs for that to overtake you and to bring you down. And so just as aggressive and progressive as your sin is, the a judgment of God follows that, not with a desire just to destroy you or to punish you, but to draw you to himself. And so just as persistent as Satan is to progressively lead you away from God, God is persistent in bringing judgment and discipline in your life to bring you back and to return to him. And so you might say, well, he wouldn't do that to us because he loves us. No, he does that to us because he loves us. Now, when my parents, you're not going to believe this, but I got a few uh, uh, spankings or, as we would say in East Texas, some whoopings in, um, in my lifetime. And um, I remember my dad saying one time, you know, this hurts me worse than it hurts you. And I thought, Ouch, I cannot imagine that, Dad. The reason he said that is he knew he had to do that in order for me to understand how to respond to authority because it was better for me to learn it from him than be thrown out to experience the outpouring of God's wrath and judgment on my sin. And see, this, this whole attack on the family, on the nuclear family, the, the biblical family unit, man and woman, father, mother, children, authority. They've tried to remove the authority of God. Now if they remove the authority of the parents, that's the next commandment as you begin to come into the final part of the Ten Commandments. It's, it's a removal of authority, and uh, what a tragedy that is. God pursues us because He loves us. If He didn't care, He would let us go, and God does pursue us. And so, in this progressive nature of His judgment, the deeper the rebellion, the greater and longer the judgment. And so when the people were carried into captivity because of their disobedience that was warned 
they were warned about in Deuteronomy, and Daniel is praying about in Daniel 9, as they uh, rebelled, that was a long-term rebellion that demanded a lengthy, deep judgment that would get their attention and bring them back. Which brings us to Leviticus 26. Leviticus 26. So if you take a left there at Deuteronomy, Leviticus is right before that. And we're gonna, not going to read all the details here, but I just want you to get the essence of it. It sounds very much like Deuteronomy 28. And if you've been through the prayer guide, you've, you've read this. But Leviticus 26, it's talking about just some basic requirements of obedience, beginning in verse 1. You shall not make idols for yourselves, neither a carved image nor a sacred pillar shall you rear up for yourselves, nor shall you set up an engraved stone in your land to bow down to it. For I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them, then I will give you rain in its season. The land shall yield its produce and the streets or the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. So it's just a condensed statement of God's blessing upon obedience. But then notice down in verse 14, or 9 through 12. For I will look on you favorably and make you fruitful, multiply you and confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat the old harvest and clear out the old because of the new. I will set my tabernacle among you and my soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt that you should not be their slaves. I have broken the bands of the yoke and made you walk upright. Then I've numbered the next sections. Look at verse 14, the first level of God's judgment. But if you do not obey me, And do not observe all these commandments. And if you despise my statutes or if your soul abhors my judgments so that you do not perform all my commandments but break my covenant, I also will do this to you. I will even appoint terror over you, wasting disease and fever which shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you shall reign over you, and you shall flee when no one pursues you. That's level one, and level two starts in verse 18. And after all this, if you do not obey me, then... I will punish you seven times more for your sins. So we go from level one to level two. 
Not responding to the outpouring of God's judgment, level two, he pours it out seven times more. That being the number of completion is going to be just increased. Then I have level three marked at verse 21. Then if you walk contrary to me and are not willing to obey me, I will bring on you seven times more plagues according to your sins. Now think about this. What if we were dealing with eight plagues and not one? What if it was COVID times seven? And they're hitting from all different directions and there was no one good answer for all of them and you're fighting that. I would hope one would get our attention, wouldn't you? Then number four, down in verse 23. And if by these things you are not reformed by me, but walk contrary to me, verse 24, then I also will walk contrary to you, and I will punish you yet seven times for your sins. And then he talks about how he will do that. And so you see how persistent their sinfulness is? And he's saying, the more you persist in your sin, the more I'm going to persist in my judgment. And I'm going to outdo your sinning with my judgment to bring you back to me to get your attention and turn you back. Number five is in, begins in verse 27. And after all this, if you do not obey me, but walk contrary to me, then I will also walk contrary to you, and I even I will chastise you seven times for your sins. If you do the math there, they're in a bad, bad way. They're going to lose everything. Somebody else is going to live where they did, or the place will just be vacant, a big, vacant lot of real estate. And it all happens by this increasing degrees of judgment. I'm not going to act like a prophet and say I know which level of judgment we're in because when you read these, it looks like we're experiencing quite a bit of it. But no matter how bad it is, God is saying I can make it worse if you don't come back to me. And and I believe we're living under the judgment of God because of all the signs based upon the scriptures we've been pouring into our lives. And I don't want to see it progress to those greater degrees. I want to see God come in a fresh move of his spirit in people's lives. The deeper the rebellion, the greater and more persistent comes the judgment. And Father, how we shudder at this thought. Father, we appear to have been so sheltered at times and uh, able to just go about our day. And even a bad day in our lives would be a welcomed good day in so many other places in the world. But Father, when we, when we look at this and we, we see how devastating 
Things have been recently, as of late, among the people of our nation. We think about the multiplying of that, and then the remultiplying of that, and the removing of wisdom and understanding that's rampant out there about what you're doing. How we long for you to help us connect the dots in our own lives. Help us not to point the finger at the the nation under judgment, but help us to point the finger at our own heart and seek out any idol, any sin that we are nurturing and guarding and justifying. Help us to take your word as seriously as you do. Ever true, changing, ancient Repeatedly in Scripture, it says that he's a jealous God. That doesn't mean that he's a a, a raging, emotional being. That just means he loves us so dearly. He knows what is best for us because he is all-wise, ever-present, all-seeing. He knows what is best for us. He gave his very best, his son, for us, and he will not relinquish his love and loyalty to any other God that we choose. He is a jealous God. He takes sin seriously because he takes his word seriously. He took his son seriously as he died upon the cross. God takes sin seriously. So here's what happens. They've been warned in Leviticus. They've been warned in um, Deuteronomy. They've been warned in Exodus right up to that. Then Joshua has to come in and lead after they've rebelled against God in numbers and all of that, and they, that generation dies out. Joshua leads them in the promised land. The land is divided up, and then it says in Judges, they turned around and did the very same thing that they'd been warned about. This is not a generational issue. This is a human issue. Uh, this is not a racial issue. This is the human race issue. We are all sinners, and we all have this propensity to sin. And that's what unites us is our sinfulness, and that's what else unites us, our need for God's grace. And we are all an object of His love. So I want us to read together some verses out of Judges chapter 2 that put into perspective 
the sinfulness that persisted even past uh, some very challenging times. So we'll look at Judges chapter 2 on the screen and read that aloud together. Let's stand as we do that so we can really vocalize this. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtoreths and the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. So he delivered them into the hands of plunderers who despoiled them and he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity as the Lord had said and as the Lord had sworn to them and they were greatly distressed. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they would not listen to their judges but they played the harlot with other gods and bowed down to them. They turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do so. And when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed them and harassed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers by following other gods to serve them and bow down to them, they did not cease from their own doings nor from their stubborn way. Then the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he said, Because this nation has transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers, and has not heeded my voice, I also will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died, so that through them I may test Israel, whether they will keep the ways of the Lord to walk in them as their fathers kept them 
or not. Be seated. In a recent 2020 episode, they asked both political candidates, what nation is our greatest threat? One said China, the other said Russia, and I shook my head and I said the United States of America is our greatest threat. I understand a global perspective, but from a biblical perspective, we are our worst enemy and we will implode or we will repent. That's what he was saying in that passage, wasn't it? His anger burned hot against Israel. They provoked him to anger. He poured out his judgment and Israel persisted. God used pagan nations to try to test them and get their attention. However, Israel was the greatest threat to Israel. And Father, how clear that is to us. Even as we read that, it's like looking into a mirror or looking at closed caption on a news broadcast from a biblical perspective. We are walking in that very way. Time and again, we have been shaken uh, almost out of our slumber only to relax when things settle down and go right back to where we were. We have failed to learn from the failures of a generation before us and the generation before them, and that complacency has grown and that carnality has uh, multiplied. And Father, we are living the reality today that what our grandparents and our parents tolerated, now it's being accepted as normal behavior. And it's not normal. It is abnormal. It is ungodly. And it uh, is an abomination to you. It's reprehensible to you and offensive to you. Oh, how we want you to forgive us for walking in the ways of Israel in the Scripture and, and just returning to our sin so quickly after your deliverance. And time and again, you have sent messengers to wake us up, some from foreign lands, and we have failed to see you and that help us to connect those dots as well. Then we turn to Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. And again, you can connect some more dots in our national situation by looking at the prophet Isaiah. Here he's speaking to the kingdom of Judah in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 4. Let's look at verse 3. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know 
my people do not consider or understand. They're not connecting the dots, he's saying. Alas, sinful nation, a people laden or or loaded heavily with iniquity, a brood of evil doers or the offspring of evil, children who are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord, they have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel, they have turned away backward. Now what God is saying is rather than coming toward him, they've turned away backward. In our culture, backward has become forward and forward has become backward. You see that? So here we are as a nation, we're walking away from God and we're saying we've got to get back to God and what are people going to accuse you of? Being backward. Or are moving back when we're not. We're moving forward to God. We've been going backward, now we're forward. But in our culture, up is down, down is up, right is wrong, wrong is right. All of those things are all mixed up. And so that's what he's talking about here. They've turned and gone backward. They, um, the Bible calls that backsliding. And it is a slippery slope when you begin to backslide. Then turn there in that same chapter to verse 13. Remember, he's talking to the people of God. He says, bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken." Isn't that amazing? Come now and let us reason together. Come now and let's let's talk about this. Though your sins are like scarlet, they should be as white as snow. Though uh, they are like red crimson, they shall be as, as pure wool. Just come to me. Come now. Come now. Come now. If you're willing and obedient, you shall have all the good of the land. But if not, calamity's going to come. Obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings cursing. That's so simple, isn't it? But it's not easy to grasp when you're living in a nation that's twisting and turning all the values. 
Don't you become weary of hearing people eat each other up in debates in their own party? And then after that, I'm just talking right now, I'm talking throughout always, and then all of a sudden they're appointing this person that's accusing them of all this stuff, and they're saying, well, that's just political rhetoric. No, that is a lie, and it was born in hell because the devil is a liar and the father of all lies. You know, you don't get a pass to say, well, I'm just being a political, whatever, speaking political rhetoric. No. Truth is not absolute. Our, our world tells us, but the truth is that truth is truth. And right is wrong, evil is evil all the time. Let's turn to the next prophecy in Jeremiah chapter 2. These are some of the prophecies that Daniel had referred to. Remember, it was understanding some of Jeremiah's prophecies that brought understanding to Daniel. Chapter 2, beginning in verse 5 of Jeremiah chapter 2. Thus says the Lord. In the King James, thus saith the Lord. That just marched, didn't it, in the King James? Thus saith the Lord. Thus says the Lord. What injustice have your fathers found in me that they have gone far from me have followed idols and have become idolaters. Neither did they say, Where is the Lord who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and pits, through a land of drought and the shadow of death, through a land that no one crossed and where no one dwelt? I brought you into a bountiful country, to eat its fruit and its goodness. But when you entered, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priests did not say, where is the Lord? And those who handle the law did not know me. The rulers also transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. It's a little play on the word prophet there. They prophesied by a false god about walking about things that did not profit them. Did you hear the recurrence of the question, where is the Lord? They failed to ask, where is the Lord? Where is the Lord? Now, if you're walking away from God, you can't see him. You can't know him. You can't understand his ways. They were so eating themselves up and so eaten up with their own ways, they were not seeking the Lord at all. If they had just asked that one question, where is the Lord, they would have to turn around and say, there he is, and we must get back to him. One of the great problems in our land is so few people are asking, where is the Lord, until they want to blame him for something. But the reality is, if you're walking away from God and you're not asking, where is the Lord, 
you probably don't have a relationship with him or you would have a broken heart that you are so far away from him and you would miss that intimacy you once shared. So that was the issue being addressed here. Okay. Then it goes on. Therefore, I will yet bring charges against you, says the Lord. Now, do you see, what have they found in me? He's saying, I'm not on trial here. You're on trial, and I am the judge. You don't judge me, I judge you. Therefore, I will yet bring charges against you, says the Lord. Against your children's children, I bring charges. For pass beyond the coasts of Cyprus and sea, send to Kedar, and consider diligently, and see if there be anything like this. Has a nation changed its gods, which are not gods? But my people have changed their glory for what does not profit. Do you ever hear of a pagan uh, temple saying, we're going to go with a different idol now. We're changing our idols. People don't change their idols. But he said, they've exchanged me for these gods that don't profit. Be astonished, O heavens, at this and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn or dug out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Father, how guilty we've been of that. We've dug cisterns of political parties. We've dug cisterns of philosophical thought. We've dug cisterns of science that is now being worshipped as the ultimate answer. We have dug cisterns of uh, innovation and ingenuity and technology and advancement and all of this stuff that just magnifies our sinfulness and brings sin closer to us. We have done what Jeremiah is talking about here, we have walked away from you as a nation and we've looked for fulfillment in everything else. No wonder Daniel prayed what he did. We would like to thank you for joining us for this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. First Baptist desires to be a house of prayer with a heart for people, making a difference by making disciples from our neighborhood to the nations. If you would like more information about this ministry, please visit www.firstcrockett.org. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you.